0: This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by Fest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, your hosts, Drew Dawkin and Grant Collins, will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets.
1: Hello, everybody. Today, it is February 2nd, and the market update, we had a great day. Dow Jones was up over 470 points, or 1.6%. Best performance since November. The S and P was up 1.4 percent as well. So good two day rally. What we saw ultimately, though, for our Wall Street bets boys, uh, the Reddit traders, they took a big hit. Shares of AMC Silver uh, had rallied nearly 300 percent last week. Um, fell 41 percent today. Also, the iShares uh, iShares Silver Trust ETF uh, was down 8 percent as well. Uh, and across the board, you saw you know BlackBerry. Genius Brands, Nokia, all the ones that were heavily longed, um, all all fell pretty large today.
2: It's pretty incredible to see the rise and fall. As you mentioned, GameStop is the one that really drew a lot of attention. And it really goes to is, is this market manipulation and how can investors use those easy free trading apps like Robinhood? Um, and now Robinhood has actually had a lot of blowback because now they've raised their uh, margin requirements and they've also uh, uh, blocked buying uh, new positions on it, which a lot of folks are are up in arms because that is impacting the free markets.
1: Yeah. Ultimately, you have a confluence of factors. Three in particular, you have technology, you have commissions-free platforms, and then also you have social media, of course. They merged together and you saw guys go after Melvin Capital. And it was really part of it at the end of the day is, you know, reminiscing on 08, uh, as income inequality. And a lot of people have a lot more time on their hands to play around in the markets, um, whether they want to have, you know, blue chip long positions or they want to turn the place into a casino. Uh, you know, it's it's the Wild West out
2: there. Well, I mean, that is free market, right? Because you are taking speculation that if you're long a position that a company is going to go up and it's the same with the short, you think it's going to go down. Uh, Melvin Capital, that's one that we should talk about because they suffered huge losses on the GameStop. They got short squeezed. And they had to take an injection um, from Citadel in point seventy two, close to three billion dollars. And the reason why this is really interesting is because Robinhood clears a lot of their trades through Citadel, and so they have been getting a, uh, a large amount of uh, grief. Or uh, there's a couple other words that you could use for it, but uh, that that Robinhood is beholden to Citadel because uh, they are the ones that execute the trade. So that seems like a giant. Uh, conflict of interest. We saw that uh, Robinhood CEO was had an interview with Elon Musk uh, over the weekend, and that the reason why they had to stop the trading or increase margins is because the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation. Uh, really, the main clearinghouse for stock trades demanded three billion in additional collateral based on uh, the risky trades that they were seeing by their customers, and that is why Robinhood uh, was had to be forced to draw down on their credit lines, but also restricted the trading.
1: No, the optics are absolutely terrible. You had AOC and Ted Cruz both in agreement on this. There was severe restrictions. You know, the week of extreme trading, uh, where, you know, it went to four shares to one share. The amount of restricted stock went up exponentially when we're looking at pl- platforms like TD Ameritrade or Robinhood. So, yeah, th- there is definitely a sense that the little guy got, you know, punched. And th- that's just going to be the optics of the situation.
2: And if we look at Robinhood, they announced yesterday that they were uh, unveiling a $2.4 billion fundraising round, which which seemed very interesting. And they're still looking to go public. They've hired advisors like Goldman Sachs to work on an IPO for later this year. So if we continue to see the fra- uh, trading frenzies, and then if we remember last year during some key trading days, they had blackouts of their software. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be an interesting to see how the market reacts to an IPO.
1: One thing we should kind of get into is the comparisons now between what what we're experiencing with COVID and the 1920s, uh, the Spanish flu. We obviously last year we're comparing it with the advent of the epidemic, but now you have economic conditions that might be reminiscent of it as well, right? You have a lot of technological growth, you have major stock market bubbles. There's light at the end of the tunnel with the pandemic. So you could see even more stock market gains, which would be uh, increased wealth bifurcation and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the political uncertainty that followed the, the 20s. It looks like a lot of things are lining up, you know, as Mark Twain says, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. Obviously, you have a much more sophisticated Federal Reserve now. But yeah, the parallels are, are quite startling. It is. End of
2: a pandemic, new technology, political polarization, emerging international rivals to the U.S., and then a soaring stock market. That sounds uh, pretty familiar to to what we have today. It, it was interesting to to hear Barclays CEO talk about the pent up demand that's currently in the, not just in the U.S. economy, but the global economy, uh, which was very similar to after the 1918 flu pandemic. And then we saw the Roaring 20s. Uh, If you look at J.P. Morgan's or Barclays balance sheet, there's a lot of purchasing power between the two of them. Uh, Most banks, if you look at the earnings that they reported last week, but uh, consumers are decreasing their borrowers and have increased their deposits and smaller corporations are are doing the same. Uh, And then if we think about another round of stimulus and the current monetary policy, we talked about the maybe the economy overheating on our last podcast but the hopes of of a rebound. And one thing that he did note is that the rebound is distributed unequally across the economy, which is also similar to what happened after 1918 as well. And not to forget what happened in 1929 when the Great Depression hit after the Roaring Twenties, if we think about the economy continuing to overheat.
1: Yeah, which which was the case, I mean, incidentally, between 1920 and 1929, you know, the United States, in terms of real GDP per capita, rose by 17.7%. But that wasn't great when you looked at the rest of the world, right? I mean, you saw Western Europe and Soviet Union. A lot of places had much, much more robust growth. Uh, and as the result, they were hit by hyperinflation. So right now we're seeing a little bit of tepid inflation. We'll talk about producer price uh, index later. But, you know, right now there's there's nothing really to indicate that currently.
2: And if we do think about where the market is, and what we just talked about with the short squeezes, and maybe uh, other signs that the this there is a bubble brewing, and that the Federal Reserve uh, is really not taking actions about that, and we're continuing to see the asset prices rise, so we have seen uh, some folks come out and. Don't really agree with how the Fed' is policies are and that the monetary policy is too accommodating. Uh, so moving forward, Drew, what do you think about where the Fed is and some of the prolonged term damage that might happen from um, their continuing uh, efforts to stabilize the credit market and, and inject capital into the markets?
1: Well, people are worried about inflation. But I mean, Jerome Powell's position is, look, there's still plenty of slack. You still have about 9 million people out of work there's millions of people on unemployment um, assistance so now is not the time to to be worried about it right so that's definitely the fed's position they're making it clear that they're going to consider asset prices and leverage of the banking system and and funding risk and everything else they'll be considering that also you know Jerome Powell mentioned in terms of the housing markets you know there's yeah, there's been a lot of interest for people moving to more pastoral places, but that could be that could be temporary. And then you look at things like the cost of lumber and stuff has gone up too. So we'll see if that even holds um, from from a housing part. And then and we mentioned, of course, uh, yes, stock markets are in a bubble.
2: But. Yeah, well, the the stock is, some people are signaling that there's near zero rate policy helped fuel a mortgage boom with record low lending rates. They anticipated that housing prices were up 9.5% in November of last year. And I think that actually is even larger if you look at the December numbers. Uh, and then also the they are ex- maybe expecting a little bit of a stock market pullback in the beginning of the year. Uh, but then folks will continue to buy the dip, creating more buying opportunity. And with rates so low, uh, it, it really, makes equities look more attractive at the moment. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and we should mention that, you know, if we talk about inflation, U.S. producer prices did increase moderately. Um, we're looking at the numbers that came in finally for December. Uh, PPI rose 0.8%, which matched November's gain. Uh, this is actually lower than what economists um, from Reuters had forecast. So we're just not seeing any great inflation yet.
2: And the Fed signaled that it would tolerate higher prices after inflation overshot the 2% target. As you mentioned, we're not really even close to that. If you take out volatile food, energy and trade services, uh, prices only increased by 0.4%. Uh, so you're really not seeing the inflation uh, as some people are are worried about in the market. In terms of sect- like geographic sectors,
1: who's recovered, who hasn't, Europe is definitely... Right now, looking like a laggard for a very important reason, which is that the vaccine rollout has not gone well. I mean, obviously, a lot of European countries far exceeded us in terms of containing cases. But when we're looking at the European Union, only 2% of people have been vaccinated. That's 7% in the United States, 11% in Britain. So there's a much slower rollout. There is a lot of vaccine nationalism. You have an Anglo-Swedish vaccine maker, AstraZeneca. They're supplying 40% less than was expected. Now, we don't have access to the contract. It's private, but we can only speculate that it was a best efforts clause. So naturally, Europe is very angry. They're threatening um, to ban, stopping exports from Pfizer and other vaccines to Britain. But at the end of the day, I mean, they were hurt by perceived you know, bad luck, uh, one of the vaccine's that they had pre ordered uh, didn't turn out to be as effective as they hoped. But also, there's been a lot of haggling on prices and everything, uh, which, you know, during the pandemic is that, that should all be secondary, of course.
2: Yeah. Well, when you when you put all your eggs in one basket, as they seem to do, their, that one vaccine got set back in clinical trials. So that was a big problem. And then also, they signed contracts a lot slower than Britain, as you said, because of. Uh, the nickel and diming over liability and, and price, and you'd think that in a pandemic that, that wouldn't be. Uh, the main goal. But the the economic consequences could be pretty severe. Uh, if we look at the levels of activities from the first half of, of this year compared to last year, they're, they're significantly lower. You have low growth and low inflation, which could be permanent feature of the euro area, it's starting to look more like Japan. The IMF forecasts that the uh, eurozone economy will remain 6% below its pre- COVID trend by the end of this year. Uh, And that's pretty significant if you compare it uh, in contrast to the output of America, where most people think that we'll be back to our pre-COVID levels at some point in the summer. So if you compare the two, that's a big lag. Yeah. And
1: investors think that, you know, European inflation might be at around 1%, whereas we're expected to exceed our target goal of two. So from that standpoint as well.
2: And if you compare our, our stimulus, so if you look at the stimulus package that are in talks in uh, in Washington today, uh, you know Joe Biden's pushing for almost a $2 trillion stimulus with fears of overheating. But if we think about the EU, they agreed to a $750 billion recovery fund that's been financed through jointly issued debt. But that has been dispersed really too slowly. So there really hasn't been any stimulus in the euro area. And I think we're starting to see the difference in that today. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I suppose that'd be seven fifty billion euro, right? So around just under a trillion um, USD. But the, the the other thing is, and, and we used to we talked about this quite a bit, but the April twenty second deadline for you know the OPEC agreement in terms of cutting production is coming to an end. Last week, what we saw was oil fell on demand fears and a strengthening U.S. dollar. But it's been up this week and overall oil um, has gained broadly. There is something to be said that, you know, the last administration, President Trump obviously uh, had a lot of dialogue between, you know, Saudi Arabia and Russia during the pricing war, both off the line and using social media platforms. Obviously, we're, we think that Joe Biden's going to be a lot more timid or not as upfront, you know, about about where we stand in terms of oil markets. But that's not to say that we won't remain an important uh, component in in some of these negotiations and in, you know, oil futures broadly.
2: Yeah, I think a big piece of that is there's still a lot of barrels uh, in storage. The market hasn't balanced and oil prices have somewhat recovered based on the vaccine hopes and production cuts, but we're still down from pre-COVID levels. Um, and so they expect the average uh, of a barrel to be around $50 this year. Um, so we can continue to see how how oil, but with, uh, we saw that there was in, in China, uh, there was travel restrictions right before uh, the new year, uh, which is normally the bi- biggest travel season for them. So that's going to decrease the oil demand. Uh, and then also with fears of, of, cases increasing in Europe as well as the United States, we could see that uh, demand continues to diminish as travel decreases across the global footprint.
1: Yeah. And in terms of things that we might have overlooked, this is obviously breaking news, but uh, Jeff Bezos will be stepping down as CEO, uh, which is something that, you know, was unexpected. I haven't seen much in terms of the reasons why. Um, So that's only speculation there, but that's going to be... you know that's that that's that's a major development.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when the one of the richest men in the world who created such a conglomerate is stepping down, that that's uh, pretty big news. Uh, another big one is is if we look, as you just mentioned, with oil, we saw Exxon Mobil report a historic loss. The oil giant said that it lost twenty two billion last year. Uh, it's the first annual loss in decades for Exxon, uh, and there had been talks. Uh, previously about them merging with Chevron, which would be one of the biggest mergers ever. Um, So continuing to see uh, how ExxonMobil reacts based on the pressures that they've had from investors uh, about uh, their goals for renewable energy and and their carbon footprint to reduce it. Uh, So a big merger like that would be huge for the energy sector.
1: Yeah, there will be more updates as well at 7 p.m. Eastern time. U.S. vehicle sales will be announced, so be a big thing to watch for in terms of consumers, uh, consumers sector, and consumer demand. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're wrapping up on our time here. Uh, thank you all for subscribing. We'll be back next week, actually, with special guests. We had them on before at drawing capital, but we're really excited about this one. Uh, we'll be talking a lot about tech and tech investing and some, some initiatives, especially when we're looking at rural broadband and and everything else and the, the Build Back Better initiative under the new administration. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Thanks. And we're out.
0: The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked in any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice.